And Dr. Glenn Packham, he's a pastor, Colorado Springs area, he's, he's got a quote that he says, in the Advent, the church uh, stands between two proclamations. The Lord has come and come Lord Jesus. The first grounds our confidence that the second will be answered. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus shape our hope in the return, reign, and renewal that is to come. And that's where we find ourselves uh, during this Advent season, that we are being shaped we're being formed to say, yes, the Lord has come, and it's wonderful and it's beautiful, and he's ruling and reigning in my heart and life, and the world needs the hope of Jesus. Um, and so we're, we're just crying out like, yes, Jesus has come, and simultaneously, <laughs> Jesus, come back. We want, we want your rule and reign to be established, and that's where we find ourselves, which finds these conversations uh, on December Sunday mornings to linger in the, in the meantime space. Um, how do our lives right now simultaneously breathe out that celebration of, yes, God is good and he's present and he's working. We believe with all of our hearts that he's working in our lives and simultaneously, uh, Jesus, we need you. We need you. <clears throat> and so alongside Jesus followers uh, and Christians for uh, around the world today and then for generations upon generations, like since Jesus' uh, ascension into heaven, um, during the season of Advent where we celebrate their arrival and long for the return, um, the, the church fathers and the people who, who went before us said, here's some things that can kind of shape the, how we look at what we're longing for here. And so we've had conversations on hope, um, and we focused on, on here's what it looks like for us to, to put our trust that what God says he will do, he will do. Um, and we've talked about peace, that we can be settled which is, which is something that our world needs. It needs peace. It's so up in arms and so tumultuous, and the world just needs a good dose of peace. Then we talked about joy. Jordan talked about last week, about how, how we can conform our outlooks around the, around the reality that God will be faithful. And all of these things are things that Jesus allow us to do because God's faithful. He doesn't change. We can be certain that he will be faithful in the future. And so today as we uh, kind of round the horn and, and come to a close of the Advent season and really look forward to Christmas Eve and Christmas and the celebration that that brings, uh, the last week uh, focuses on love. And uh, that's what I want us just for a, a short moment because the kids preached such a great sermon that I just want to focus in on love for just a little bit. We use love a lot, and I think a lot of people bash that a lot of times, but we use love a lot. For example, we love our family, maybe our spouse, our kids, our job sometimes. Uh, we love burgers. We love the Illini. We love the Boilermakers. Number one in the country, Sam. <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let that live for as long as we can. Uh, we love our cars. We love fill in the blank. Whatever you want to, we, we love those things. And uh, sometimes, and I've been in this case, like, oh, we've, we've watered down what it means to love. But I, I think instead it would be helpful for us to look at things through a redemptive lens. And so maybe instead of saying we, we love other things too much, maybe we can say, wow, what a picture of uh, the, f it's, just a, it's just a glimpse, it's just a picture, it's not the full thing. But what a picture of the love that comes from God. 
There's a there's a, a bishop in the Catholic Church. He's a professor at Loyola. His name's Frederick Bauerschmidt, and he describes love as that which brings delight. That which brings delight. And so we aren't totally out of line when we confess love for any particular thing. It might be varying degrees, but love is that which brings delight, that which enlivens our soul, makes us joyful, that which make, puts just, in, I mean, it's an intangible, just puts that smile on your face, that which brings delight. And so it is through these things that we love and we confess love for and that we find delight in that we get this picture, this glimpse. And it might, again, it might be small, but it's a glimpse of God. If all truth is God's truth, it's a glimpse of God's goodness and it's a glimpse of God's love. One of my uh, favorite quotes of all time, and I use it in like a thousand different contexts, uh, but... Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, he's an archbishop of Hippo, North Africa, and so he is looking out one night over the Adriatic Sea, and he sees the waves rolling in, and he begins to get this glimpse, I'm sure you've had something like it before, uh, where you're in nature, and it's just like, this is, I'm awestruck, this is stunning, and he looks out over this, and he says, if these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what more does God have in store for those who love him? If these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what more does God have in store for those who love him? Saying, if I get to experience this now, if things are this good now, if things are this beautiful now, if I experience this much delight and love for something and receive this much love for something now, imagine when, all, when God makes all things new. Imagine how good it will be when God restores all things. If these are the beauties afforded to sinful men, what more does God have in store for those who love him? And that's where we find ourselves, that we, we uh, try our best to experience love, but uh, at best, it's just a glimpse of what's to come. In 1 John, as uh, John's writing, uh, he's writing this letter, and he defines God as love. Not that God does love, but that God, in his essence, is love. So it's not a thing he does, it's a part of who he is. Because if it was a thing he does... That comes and goes at will. If it's a thing he does, we never know when uh, we're going to be able to expect to receive that delight or that love. But if it's a part of who he is, it's constant. It doesn't change. It's baked into his DNA. God is love. It's a part of his very essence. And if we stick with that definition from uh, Dr. Bauerschmidt, that uh, love is that which brings delight... And we understand that God, as the highest good, brings the most delight. He is the thing that both simultaneously settles our hearts. We're not worked up or worried. And simultaneously enlivens our soul of like, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be alive. So God is love. And out of him, we see all this radiating love that we get these glimpses uh, of redemptive pictures for the world to see of like, yes, I love Amanda, my spouse, but that's just a glimpse of the, God, of the love that God has <coughs> for me. 
And this is where the story of God and the story of love and the story of delight intersect itself with the story of Advent. God being love, tangibly, skin and bones, being love for the world to see. We find a story in John uh, chapter 3, and Jesus is meeting with a religious leader, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has gotten word of the teachings and the way of Jesus, and he's begun to become interested and like, I'm, I, I want to figure out more about this. And so the meeting happens because Nicodemus is trying to avoid persecution. The meeting happens under the curtain of night. And Jesus is talking to him, and he goes on this long, uh, uh, long teaching about his, this is what it means to follow God. Like, you're going to receive new life, you're going to be born again, and it's so confusing to Nicodemus. And, and, and then Jesus says, let me just sum it up for you. And we get what has been, uh, and rightfully so, uh, dubbed as one of the most like, well-known uh, passages of Scripture of all time. He says, let me just sum it up for you. This is, this is the whole story of God. We find in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God so deeply and truly loved the world. And I think uh, I was praying through it last week, and this is the thing that was just laid on my heart for us as God's people today. God loved the world. Not God pitied the world. Not God tolerated the world. Not God put up with the world, but God loved the world. He took delight in his creation, and his creation had opportunity to take delight right back in him. God loved the world. And so often, and, and again, rightfully so, this verse gets scooped up as a sort of missiological banner of this is what it means to be God's people. That We can take this to our communities. We can take this to our neighbors. We can take this to those around us and, and just drop it down and say this is the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life, not perish. Yeah, that's good, that's right, we should take it. But so often, as Jesus people, we scoop it up and we take it to our neighbors and we forget to give it to ourselves too. One of my favorite things to do when I was in student ministry, and I made a habit of this because I, 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 wanted, I wanted to be this is who I was. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do was I made a commitment that every night we gathered for youth group, I would pull one guy and one girl aside at some point during the evening, and I would tell them what I appreciated about them. And so, uh, yeah, you, the, picture me in the corner with sixth grade, sixth grade kid. Uh, I was about to name a name. None of you would know any of them. But, uh, sixth grade kid and me saying, you are, you're a leader. Your, your friends look up to you. I'm just so immensely proud of you. And, and then me pulling this other kid aside saying, you're, you're so kind. Though I wish I had a thousand of you. You're so kind to your friends. Uh, or, or this other person saying, like, you just, you, I see you trusting God so much as, as you walk through all these changes in life. And pulling, pulling kids aside and uh, speaking into them, here's where I see God. God working in and through you. Uh, one of my favorite practices I've ever done, but here's what I experienced. Ten times out of ten, I feel very confident in saying that, the kid 
would die. Like, please don't. Like, this, you're making me, Jordan. They appreciated it. Parents told me, so I kept doing it. But like, you're making me so uncomfortable. I don't know. I don't, no one has ever said kind things to me. I don't know how to respond to any of this. Uh, we had a similar experience. I'm, uh, we've got two boys, five and three. Um, our church family over in Indiana, when they were born, um, was so gracious and so kind and so faithful that in, in both cases, uh, we did not cook dinner for six weeks after the birth of our children. Six weeks. Week one was wonderful because you're like in the house and you're like, oh, a friend. It's so good to see you. And week two was like, oh, yeah, we're starting to, like, we're hitting some delicious meals because you don't bring a, a, a B or a C game meal when you're taking it to someone. Everyone brings their A game meals and it's wonderful. And then week three, and it's like, this is, we could probably cook for ourselves at this point. And then week four, you begin to become a little bit, if you're, if you're me, you begin to become a little bit uh, uncomfortable of like, we don't, we don't need this. This is, this is far, far too much. Please, <laughs> you get on the meal train, just please stop. I'm so uncomfortable. Um, and then it goes on for uh, two more weeks after that. Here's what I've learned. In our, and I want to get really granular because I think it touches most of us. In our, in our picture perfect, uh, our, our, our white, Midwestern, agricultural context that we find ourselves in, we are not good receivers of love. I tell you, you people, some of the other people I've met, we're good love givers. We're really, really good at it. You tell me there's a need here around the church building, and I've got, I got 20 people who would show up like that, ready to work. You tell me there's someone that needs their, their uh, a ramp built in front of their house, yeah, we'll do it, no problem. You tell me whatever the need is, we will give that love, we'll dole it out, we're unselfish, it's wonderful, I love it. But then the moment that love is turned back on us, we begin to squirm a little bit. We begin to get a little bit uncomfortable, but we give, we serve, we sacrifice. I don't know if we receive super well. <clears throat> it's oftentimes, I find, easier in the context that we live. It's easier for us to be conduits of God's love to others than recipients of it. Now hear me, I'm not advocating, I, I, I hesitate to put any qualifiers on this, but I, I, I felt the need to. I'm not advocating for some sort of self-serving, navel-gazing, look at me, I am the best thing to ever happen to planet Earth Christianity. Because that sort of self-obsession, self-desirous uh, lifestyle, just it doesn't lead to anything that's godly. But I, I think where we could grow is, a, is a, a movement to embrace God's love. To remember that God so loved the world and in no uncertain terms that includes you. That in the context when, when God created the universe and then drew a circle around it and said, these are the people I love, you were, again, in no uncertain terms included in that circle. 
God loves you. He sees you. As his creation, he, create, he takes great delight in who you are. <clears throat> and because that love from God is certain, because God is love and he's not changing, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He just loves you, full stop. In my experience, we really, I really, struggle to live in that tension. Jordan, God loves you. Sure, he, he like made a way and provisions through the work of Jesus uh, to take care of my sins on the cross. And, and we begin to explain things away. Uh, Jordan, God loves you. Well, yeah, he loves the whole world. And so I'm just kind of included in that by default. And for some reason, it has become shameful to talk about uh, God's love for us. We get embarrassed. Like it's sinful. It's like, I don't want to dwell too much on it. And again, Hear me out. I'm not, I'm not, what I'm not, what I'm trying to cultivate here isn't this self-obsessed, self-centered person who is just consumed with their own thoughts and passions and desires. But I think it would really be pretty transformational for us if we learn to embrace God's love. God loves you. Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It gives every, every downfall that could possibly happen. And what Paul's saying is nothing can separate us from God's love. There is not a thing in the world that can separate us from God's delight. First John, when he's talking about Again, God is love. And he says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice as a, uh, for our sins or as a, as a covering sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus looked at you and he saw you as valuable enough and worthy enough to receive that sacrifice. And this is love. Not that we return love back to God, but that God loved us first. That God delighted in us first. That as his creation, God says, this person has inherent value and worth, and, and I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them as my creation, and I take delight in him, in them, in you. Here's why this is important. I just believe with all of my heart that living as loved people, living as loved people changes us, and then, as a result, changes our world. Because people who, people who realize they're loved by God, we talk about peace and certainty and all that sort of thing. Uh, people who realize and embrace that, like, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by the one that spoke life into existence. When, when things get rocky or when things get scary, they're just, they're settled. They're calm. They're peaceful because they're like, yeah, things are wild right now, but the God that spoke stars into existence loves me, takes delight in me. What do I have to worry about? That's like when, when some, it's usually used pretty obnoxiously, uh, but when someone of authority or power, or that usually more so, that has connections to someone who's in authority or power, uh, gets like caught doing something like, do you know who I know? 
Do you know who I'm connected to? And that can be the case for us. When things get rocky, when things get messy, do you know who, has, who takes delight in me as his creation? We're not having to chase value or like fill that hole in our hearts because it's, it's securely fastened with the love of God. We're not having to chase every whim that meets our fancy, which is exhausting. But instead, we get to live in the love of God. God's love for us makes us secure. So we don't have to be tossed here and there. We can just be settled in the presence of a world uh, who is desperately trying to find value. But God's given it to us. In 1 John, again, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And this is not a sprinkled love. This is not a sparse love. This love is lavished. It's extravagant. It's way over the top. It reminds me of a story that Jesus tells in the Gospels when he's talking about uh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Imagine you will, there was a, a farmer and he had two sons. And one son comes up to him and he says, uh, Dad, listen, I, uh, in essence, uh, I wish you were dead because I, I want your stuff. And the, uh, the dad goes, well, that, that hurts, but here's your half of the stuff. And the son goes out uh, with his newly acquired wealth and he goes to town. He, he goes about the business of parties, and he goes about the business of the finest things, and he lives the high life, and then he realizes that, um, that like, oh, bank account's kind of run out. I don't have anything else. But he's too, he's too proud to go lavish or go, go exist in his father's love. And so instead, he says, let me just, let me just feed some pigs. And then his life hits the lowest point that it could possibly hit when he's, he's feeding these pigs and he's looking at them and he's going, uh, what they're eating looks actually it's better than what I have going for me. And so he begins to rehearse in his head of like, maybe I can go back to my dad and maybe I can become just like a farmhand. I don't need everything I had before, uh, but maybe I, can, maybe I can just work for him because surely my dad's servants, the people that work for my dad are treated better than I am in this situation. And so he, he's rifling through his head and he's creating this apology and he, he's rehearsing it as he goes over. He says, okay, I'm going to say, Dad, I'm sorry. And, and he's, he's walking to his dad's house. <coughs> and he looks up. And Jesus says, while he was a long way off, his dad, who no doubt waited for him day and night, Sitting on the front porch, realizing his son is coming home, he beelines it for him. He, and the son is getting ready. He's getting ready to spit out this big apology and this big, he's going to get on his knees and he's going to ask for forgiveness. And the dad, before he can say a word, he scoops him up. He says, son, I love you. I missed you. I loved you. I missed you. And then, as any man of authority would do, starts to get his people around. He goes, hey, you, fattened calf, 
hey, you, grab the ring, grab the fancy robe, get it all out here. And, and I imagine in the, in the son's shoes at this point, it's like, no, I don't, please. Week six of meals for you. I don't, this is too much. It's too much. And he's like, silence. You, this is a bit extreme. Silence, listen, listen up here, okay? My son was gone. He's back. We are celebrating. We're celebrating. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And this is us. This is our story. That we were created, that we were loved, and that at no point in the process of mess-ups or failures or mistakes, at no point in Scripture do we see uh, that when you do X, Y, or Z, God stops loving. It just doesn't happen. So God loves you. He takes great delight in you as his creation. And so we can be sure, certain, and secure. We don't have to worry about what might come because God is love. You were made in the image of God, or your treasured possession, and loved deeply. And oh, how that could change the world how that could change the world, a people who understand and embrace this love, who aren't ashamed of it, who, who don't go, well, yeah, but, but who go, no, I don't, I don't deserve it. God loves me. I don't understand it. He just, he lavishes it on me. I don't understand it. I, it doesn't make sense to me. In fact, that sometimes it makes me really uncomfortable because I don't deserve it, but he keeps doing it into a world that is looking for value and looking for worth. What an attractive proposition. To say, it doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. God right now delights in you as his creation. He loves you. Our world needs that. Again, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So I want to send us out as a people who are loved, as a people who who the divine, the creator of all things, looks at us and takes delight in. And and so if you're you're able, I'd love for you to stand. Uh, And I just want to read Paul's words uh, from Ephesian over you as a prayer uh, as we go out. <laughs> Paul says this, and pray it with me. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, <coughs> so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.